Uh, it was something we did every other day, and then on Sundays we go to mass at um, you know nine o'clock, eleven o'clock, Sunday mass. Oh yeah, this is something So so mass holy uh, at uh, seven o'clock in the evening, and then you know there was a school mass Thursdays. I was saying, you know, literally, it was rosary every day as well. You know, so the rosary, morning prayers, prayers before morning prayers after morning. It was very much institutionalised into me, you know, the prayers that we say. Well, when I was 11 years of age, something happened. You know, there was a, a chap who used to come along to the children's home. He used to do tremendous amount of work. He used to call him uncle. And he was a parent. And literally, you know, I got on very, very well with Uncle Harry. You know, I used to take his paint and things like that. And then one day, um, what happened was, um, you know, I, I took the paint and he came down from the steps and went out without saying goodbye. And I thought, gosh, that's very unusual because that's what he did every single time. Well, you know, the next thing I heard, he'd been run over and killed just outside of children's home on the road. And that absolutely distraught me, you know, it absolutely made me really uh, think, you know, what on earth, why was God doing this? You know, really did feel that, you know, God had really done something very, very selfish and dignified. But something came to my head, you know, at the funeral. And, you know, it was really the um, very first time I felt that, you know, Scripture was properly announced, as it were. You know, it was Psalm 130. And if you look at Psalm 130, it's, it's quite a lovely psalm. And it's something I've used ever since that time, you know, I get into a state of, um, you, know, you know, I have trouble in my life. And it really is just a, a, a lovely psalm. To me, it's, it was something that led me on a path that ultimately led me to this church. Because literally when it says there, if you open it up to one, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you are Lord kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord my soul waits, and needs where I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning, for Israel put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is in failure, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from the heart. It was the first time I'd actually seen a, a verse that came directly. You know, the, <coughs> the prayers I would utter, you know, often in Latin, parts must have created chase, and projected moment. I know them today. You know, it's our Father who walked in heaven, I won't be your name. You know, and, and you know, all of these words, a lot of them I understood, but a lot of them I didn't. So when we went to church and when we prayed and we prayed in Latin, I didn't understand them. When we said the words, I never really got, got that, I never really understood it. Because you'd say, um, we're 15 decades, and they were the joyful, sorrowful, and um, glorious mystery. And some of them reflected on the passion of Christ. So when you were 
talking about a passionate promise, you're actually looking five hell memories. And, you know, it's difficult to sort of sink your mind to the passion where you should be meditating on what was happening to Christ. Then the Hail Mary was in Hail Mary for Christ for Lord is revealed. You know? So I, you know, there, there were some prayers that were, how can I say, static structure, and which I felt couldn't really sort of get my soul into a proper communication with God in the same way that Psalm 130 did. And so, you know, <coughs> went on like this, and you know, I had misgivings also about the Latin, obviously, you know, the, the Latin mass, you know. And, and, and um, you know, it was, it was strange. It was just, you know, there was two-thirds of the mass. And when it came to the sacrifice, when we call it the sacrifice of the mass, it was in, done in an intangible, unintangible fashion. You just couldn't understand. You know, I can still put up to the to me, you know, uh, you know, it's great if you listen to, uh, you, you know, great orchestral pieces which are dedicated to masses. These are great. I, I like them for that. But it's entertainment. But it was a distance. You were quite distant from actually sort of where you needed to be, where you needed to understand the communication that God was trying to get with you and you with God. It didn't happen. It didn't resonate. So, you know, Literally, <laughs> that went on, and you know, uh, I did become disillusioned when I when I left um, the children's But I still stayed faithful to the Roman Catholic faith for quite a long time, until eventually, you, you know, I went along and um, you know, I, I, I listened to uh, the well, they changed the mass into English at that time, and uh, you know, quite a lot of it I understood, but still, it was. They were wearing vestments and what did that mean? Does it, anybody here know Canal Bits? What are Chasm Bits? What are Stone Bits? What, what, what is purpose? Do you know, what were the hurts? What, what are they? You know, all of these, you know, they, 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 they became, how can you say, very. It, the, the whole thing was embellished in tradition, and tradition made you distinct or push, pushed you away from the intimacy of what was really going on. And that really did hurt me a lot. You know, and I felt, you know, it was only when I completely left the church, sometimes I would go back, not for the mass, but to sit down and sort of talk to Christ and sort of say, what is this? When I could see the crucified form, when I could see, you know, what was there, when Christ was, you know, the nails were in his hand. I had some configuration in my mind that this, you know, was a supreme sacrifice given for me. But there was no scripture, no direction from scripture from any of the churches that they knew. It was only when I came here and somebody opened the Bible and I them down. On the first time I visited in Nashville, it was a communion. It was about 1 Peter 2, 22 to 25. You know, and, and if we go there, it is quite an amazing scripture to me. So I want you to, to 22 to 24. I think we all know it. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. 
when they hurled their insults at him and did not retaliate, when he suffered the made their threats, instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Then we were like sheep going astray, but now we return to the sheep, the overseer of our souls. Just pray for the bread. Lord, I thank you for all that for the great sacrifice you made. God, thank you for giving us your son. I pray that those who do not have an understanding of the greatness we the world, that you make it living and active in their lives. Thank you for giving us this bread as a symbol of an incredible sacrifice you made. In your son's name, amen. Pray for the world. Lord, by your wounds we have been healed. Help us to take into our lives through the sacrifice of your blood that we can be rejuvenated through this and the fruit of the vine that we are now to partake of. To the sons of the Amen. Amen.
in a moment here is going to come and uh, speak to us. Before we go, good afternoon, church. Good afternoon. Uh, today, I'm going to be honest with you, when they were singing that Father Abraham song, the Iliad, you know, the, yeah. what was it, left hand, right, right hand, foot, foot, and then yeah. they're looking up in the air, yeah. and then they turn around, yeah. and I'm going to be honest, and he fainted or vomited. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still standing, but uh, only just so. Yeah. All right. Uh, let, let, let's pray before we get into the uh, lesson of the day. Heavenly Father, God, Father, it's, it's great and it's, it's warm, Father. Uh, thank you, God, for, for some sunshine and for, for summer. Um, Father, you know, I, I really pray, Father, today, God, you know, your word, Father, uses so many powerful but also convicting uh, ways to describe the, you know, the, 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 the state that our heart can get into. Father, the way that our hearts can get uh, dull or numb or blind, Father, um, blinded, Father, by sin, Father, blinded to our own spiritual state, God, you know, lukewarm, Father, is another word that, Father, your, your, you know, your word uses, Father, hardened by sin's deceitfulness, God. And yet, Father, you know, I just really appreciate, Father, Chris's uh, communion, God, because it reminds us, Father, when we come to the cross, Father, when we picture what eternity is like in heaven, Father, what is already going on in heaven, Father. Sometimes I think about this, God, and I just think, gosh, I, I really gotta, I really gotta change my mindset, Father, because the picture and revelation of what is happening right now, not, not in some future time that it will suddenly start there, but right now in heaven, Father, is it's intense. It, it's the most joyful, incredible celebration, Father. Just even the way that heaven is described, Father, the colours that are used, Father, carnelian, these, you know, topaz, these, these jewels, Father. The city, Father, made of gold, Father. And, 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 and I was praying about this and thinking about this this week, Father, that, you know, the sacrifices before your throne that are going on right now, Father, that it's, it's intense, God. The, the, the smell, Father, of burnt offerings, Father, of burnt incense, God, the lamb before the throne, tortured, mutilated blood, Father. And all these things are then down the throne, Father, this, this radiant being that John, he can't even look. And it says he weeps, Father, when he thinks about and looks at, 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 you know, at you and realizes how spiritual state of And I pray, Father, that as we look into your word, Father, today, we can have a bit of a sense of that, Father. Satan does want our hearts to be dull and numb and hardened, Father. I pray that you can stir our hearts today, Father. I pray that you can look at verses that we may have read many, many times before, Father, and see them in an entirely new way, Father. Stir our hearts, soften our hearts, help us to leave here changed people today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, so we've been going through the book of Luke uh, recently. This is further forward. I'm kind of a long way away from. Uh, we go through Luke. We're in Luke uh, chapter six today. We're we'll returning there. We we'll start in verse seventeen. We'll pick up where where Forrest left off uh, last. Is it last week or week before? Last week. As if they said at the beginning, Forrest and Mandy at the moment are in Helsinki. Uh, apparently, it was two degrees when they arrived there, and then it's been beautiful sunshine more recently last couple of days. So they obviously had a nice time there. I've never been to Helsinki. My wife told me it's a beautiful place, but uh, I'm sure. They'll come back to us revived and refreshed and, and ready to, uh, to uh, continue the fight here in Birmingham. So uh, Luke 6, verse 17. There's a short bit before this that we won't read where Jesus appoints 
his apostles. Well, we'll come back to that in a minute or so. We'll pick it up in verse 17. So this is Jesus went up on the mountain, and it says there in verse 17, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how your ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. You know, it's a really simple passage, but I've got to be honest with you, you know, more I thought about it, prayed through these verses, and I kind of thought, man, this is possibly one of the most challenging sermons I've had to preach. Because it's so simple and it's so obvious, and many of us have heard it so many times. But if you can really wrap your head and heart around what Jesus is saying, I think it's actually some of Jesus' most challenging words. You know, before we get into actually the, the details of what Jesus was saying, there are, there are a couple of things that we, you know, we should think about. There are a couple of parallels I think Luke wants us to think about. And he's setting out these kind of blessings and curses. And I think in Adam Luke's mind, he's thinking of a passage in Deuteronomy and later with Joshua where, where Moses went up onto the mountain, Mount Gerizim on one and Mount Ebo on the other. And he called people together and, and they declared blessings if they followed God and they put those, they wrote them on this tablet, you know, they filled this uh, stone, they cut it with plaster and they wrote that on one they declared the blessings for following God on one stone up here. And then the woes or the curses on another mountain, they were declared as well, woes and, and curses if we don't follow God. And I think Luke in his mind, he's kind of, he set this up in the same way for a reason we'll come back to. But also with Matthew, Matthew's account of the Beatitudes is a little bit longer, there are parallels there, people think, well, you know, maybe this was the same after as it happening on the mountain, but Luke is happening on a, on a flat place, or this is the Sermon on the Plain rather than the Sermon on the Mount. But I think both Matthew and Luke have in their mind that this is the giving of the, if you like, the law of the kingdom. Or, as I put there, these are, these are, the, these are the kingdom values, these are values of the kingdom. Much like Moses gave them the Old Testament law thousand years before, this is Jesus and the new covenant. And this is his first announcement in the sense of it. This is the law of the kingdom. That means something, right? The law of the kingdom, kingdom of what was that? In a sense, I think Jesus is telling us how to be a disciple. Like I think if Jesus was doing a, a, a quote-unquote discipleship study, this is what Jesus would be doing. Because it's everything. It, it, it's the heart. I mean, kind of say you know, the heart of being a disciple, not just the practical details. 
Yeah, a disciple has quiet times. Yeah, a disciple shares their faith. Yeah, a disciple loves the poor and loves the lost. And when you confess that sin, you know, we love the brotherhood. Like, we, you know, sometimes we get kind of lost in the practical, but this is Jesus' discipleship stuff. If I ask you a different kind of question to start with, if, 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 if we've got a show of hands, you know, who are the who are considered by most people out there in society the most blessed people in society? Give, give, me, give, me, give me some answers. Who are the most blessed people? You ask a guy on the street, walk in the middle of the bullring and say, hey man, who's the most blessed people in society? What kind of answer would you get? Right. Royalty. Royalty. Royalty, yeah. yeah. Royalty. Although actually, you know, I respect what they've done recently, kind of coming out and being honest and real as well. The Beckhams. The Beckhams. The Beckhams. Footballers in general. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think footballers in general. Soccer players. Yeah, great. Landowners. Landowners. Yeah. People who have ten dollar. Okay, quick. Go on, one more. Bankers. Bankers. No? Go on, last one. The rich. The rich. I think so. I, you know, I, I think there's this kind of... And it's funny, right? You know, for those of us who are here, so much, and actually, even when you stop and you think about it, you know... Or you, you know and, 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 I don't think it... No, I'm going to ask for Who would like to be a banker? Like a rich man, you would But I don't think most of the time that we explicitly kind of think, wow, I would like to be like the Beckhams. But, 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 you know, like, I don't think we go... <laughs> There are all sorts of ways that we compare, you know, we, we kind of, the, the values of the world, right, we're not immune to them. You know, what does James say about good religion? It's, it's to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. You know, secretly, I, you know, I think we do it all the time. You know, we're at uni, we're at work, we see those people, and, we, you know, and, 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 you know, they're cleverer than us. Things become more easily to them. Or, you know, their football skills, if you're in you know, their football skills are better. Or we look at their marriages and we go, oh, their marriage is better than ours. Or, or their kids are better behaved than them. Oh, their kids are better, you know. Or they've got mon- more money. They, you know, one of my friends posted on Facebook, he'd gone to some races, and he works in insurance, he's not a banker almost, you know. And he'd gone to the races, I think, on Friday, and then he posted this thing on, on Facebook um, yesterday. It was a, a photograph of his receipt, and they'd gone to the races with a group of them, I don't know how many people. But he was kind of, kind of bragging, you know, he said, Oh gosh, you know, I've just got in the taxi having had a few many beers and realised my tab for the bar drinks was £3,000. <laughs> I genuinely thought, I thought, what? I, I, acted with, I, looked, I was like, and sure enough, three, he paid £400 in VAT for this. <laughs> you were shocked, you know, my reaction was exactly the same. You know, but, 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 but also, apart from that, me was kind of thinking, flat out, flat out. Yeah. You must be on a really good salary to be that kind of stupid with his money. I think there's all sorts of ways you can think about what's a line recently. And, you know, and, and it's great, it's great. I love it, it's fantastic. But, I also, you know, it's done in tech colour, right? And it's really kind of, you know, it's... It's really nice, like the colours, and everything seems very colourful, and even the bad stuff kind of seems good, you know. And they've got a song for the bad stuff as well, and you kind of, you know, and, 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 
kind of know, like, I don't know you, but, but I can end up thinking about my life like that as well, kind of like, I wish I had a song for this morning. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know. And, and, and I think there's all sorts of ways that we can get a little bit just more and more infected by the way the world thinks. Jesus is challenging our values. So let's go through some of the things that Jesus actually said. And I think behind all this, Luke has one thing that he really wants us, and I think it's probably one of Luke's, I would say, top themes throughout this gospel. He's asking us this question, are you living for now, or are you living for eternity? And it comes out in so many of the parables, and you know, the rich young ruler, or Lazarus, and you know, are you living for now, or are you living for eternity? Let's start he has this phrase that he repeats over and over again. Blessed are. Blessed are. Now this word, you know, blessed are, you know, it's one of Chris's things. Like, you know, it's terminology that we hear so often, it sounds very religious, whatever. What does it actually mean? That the Greek word is makarios, so that doesn't really tell us an awful lot. But, but by the time that this was being written, it was used to describe a kind of a state of being. A status. Again, you're going to think, what does that mean? Well, it's different from two things. It's different from a feeling. It's not a feeling. Feelings come and they go. And, and, and you know, a lot of that is just kind of biology and chemistry. I can ask something about the, kind of the biology of, you know, you know, why do we have certain kind of, you know, we know that. Kind of neural, you know, certain feelings come based on, I don't know, like I drink a cup of coffee. I've noticed, I drink a cup of coffee. And it's pretty weird, you know, I'm a bit addicted, but for about ten minutes afterwards, I still feel this kind of euphoria, which is a bit odd. I mean, you know, maybe that's my addiction. You know, but 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 but, but, but feelings come and they go. So do circumstances. Like a joy that is circumstantial isn't really—that's not really a joy. Because if circumstances bring it, then adverse circumstances can take it away. You know what I mean? You get that bill through the door, right? And you know, you know, before you open it, oh man, end power. And you've got to go crash and burn you. You feel it too, but, but circumstances affect our joy. But what he's saying here, it is neither, but it's not feelings, and it's not circumstances, it's, it's a status, it's a state. You know, it's a bit like he's saying, God is fired up about you. You are in right standing with God. If you are, Paul. Now Luke is a little bit different to Matthew. Right? Matthew actually kind of goes a step further and he kind of says poor in spirit. What Luke does is he takes the physical characteristics and he's not saying all poor people are blessed. That's not the point. But he emphasizes that kind of fits with his gospel message. But, but he's saying the same thing as Matthew. He uses the same word, for example. But the word he uses, and I, I preached this only last time I preached, is this word, Greek word, ptokos, P-T-O-C-H-O-S, ptokos. And, and there are two words for Greek, and again, in Greek for, for poor people. Let me just explain this, I think it's really helpful, helps me to understand this. There's, there's a word for poor person which is penance. And it's the guy who is poor but can provide for himself. He's kind of self-sufficient, he doesn't have an awful lot, but he can earn his own way. That's not the word that Luke, Jesus Matthew used here. It's the other word. And the other word is extreme or abject poverty. It's the guy who is so poor, 
He, he's ashamed. He smells. He cowers in the corner. He's dirty. People look at him and, you know, he sleeps in his own urine at night. He has nothing. He has no job. He has no means to provide for himself. He has to cow. But he knows he will die if he doesn't bear. He has to depend on the generosity of others. And that's the word that Jesus uses here. Blessed are the people who, spiritually speaking, know that they are bankrupt. They know they have nothing. They have no way. They, you know, my righteousness is nothing. It's just dirty rags. Even the good stuff I do is taken by bad motives. I, I have nothing. That's the word he's using. It's the crushed in spirit. It's those who depend on the charity of another. Who is the other? But it's God. Blessed is the person who knows, I've got nothing, I've got no way. I have to depend on God. He said the kingdom belongs, and again, the wording is matters here, the kingdom belongs only to those people. Wow. Like the NIV translation doesn't have that in there, but, but, but the terminology is the kingdom only belongs to those people. The second one, the hungry the hungry, again, you know, obviously not all hungry people are blessed, but he's saying the people who are hungry now, hungry spiritually. Again, the terminology here, again, it matters. It, 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 it's a kind of hunger like a person who is starving. Starving for what? Starving for righteousness. Starving for righteousness. The person who would go to any length to be righteous is all they want to do. Is to be righteous. You know, you may have seen this on, on YouTube. There's a, a, a Scottish MP, Myrie Black, who in her uh, first speech in the House of Parliament, she talked about this uh, guy from her constituency who was out of work and things. And, and she went and spoke to him. She said, Why don't you go to the job centre? You know, they'll be able to help you. You can sign on, you can get, you know, and then hopefully get a legal job and all those kind of things. But this guy had so little money. And the job center was so far away that he had to save up money for two weeks to go to this appointment. Which basically meant he didn't eat for two weeks. He shot a story that he got on the bus to go to the job center appointment and he was so weak that he fainted on the bus, had to be helped, he missed his appointment, and let me not get into the politics of all that, but you know, they cut his benefits, they wouldn't give him another thing, you know. But 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 you know. He starved himself for two weeks to make this appointment. I don't think, I don't, I don't know your life circumstances, but I don't think any of us have ever had to, I never have, have had to live with that kind of starvation. You know, on the kind of the, the, the flip side, I suppose, it's a bit like the kind of the spiritual marshmallow test. Have you ever heard of the marshmallow test? Where the psychologists say, you know, they, they put a child in it's this, <laughs> my kids don't. They don't pass this one, I don't think I would have passed this one, you know. But, but they put their child in the room and they say, There's a marshmallow in front of you, I'm going to leave the room. You can eat the marshmallow now, or when I come back into the room, you can have two marshmallows. And then they do this kind of test, and the kids, and they film it, you know, secretly, and the kids sit there, and, and, and 50% of the kids, probably more than that, eat their marshmallow, and the rest, when the person comes back, they get two marshmallows, you know. But, but I think there's a spiritual marshmallow test that Jesus is kind of saying here. It's about deferred satisfaction. Can you wait? Or do you want it now? Do you want it now? Well, we live in a society that tells us, you know, actually a little bit of self-indulgence. What is Pastor L'Oreal got? Because you're a <laughs> <laughs> You know, 
But that's the society we live in. A little bit of self-indulgence is a good thing because, you know, you work hard enough for it. You deserve it. Who's going to look after you, girlfriend? If you're not doing it for yourself. <laughs> You know, I bet you're going to do this now, but I bet you if I asked you, can you remember a time 
in your younger Christian life where you face some pretty intense persecution. Why don't you find your colleagues or you know, maybe you're sharing your faith on the street. I had one guy try to headbutt me one time. You know. so, so, so some crazy kind of stuff happens. Here's the challenge for us now. For those of us, I think, who have been Christians for, for, for a while. I think there's a simple test of this. Do you still offend people? Does your Christianity still offend people? Because you can offend people for being an obnoxious character, right? You know, I've had that plenty of times where actually I just wasn't very nice in the situation and people got a bit offended because I said things in the wrong way. And Jesus talked about that. But there's a simple challenge, you know, does your Christianity offend people? Because you know what Paul says later on? He says, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, you don't know about looking for persecution, but if you're not getting any, that's also a bit of a sign of something, perhaps. And, and I like to think about that myself. You know, do I pull back from speaking up? I'm going to just be sharing my faith with colleagues because I'm afraid of how they'll look. Yes, is the answer. That's a challenge. I'll show you a video about that in a minute. And he finishes up and he says, I think, I think Jesus would have emphasized all these three words. He would have said, great, great is your reward in heaven. He actually says something before that. He says, rejoice, leap for joy. When you face persecution like that, when you're hated or spurned or rejected, rejoice. Because great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward. Where's your reward? Well, your reward is in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. But then Jesus carries on, and this is the kind of the, the curse, but we're not going to spend all four time this, because it's kind of basically the flip side. It's the mirror image of everything he's just said. He says, but woe. Woe to you if the reverse is true. The word for woe there, apparently, is actually the word for... The, you understand why they put it in the New Testament likeness, but, but it's the word for horror. Horror to you. Horror to you. If this doesn't distract. Horror to you if you refuse to let go of comfort and security and money to follow me because that's what you want in this life. That word for horror, that word for woe is used loads of time in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel and in Revelation. And that again probably should tell us something. You know, the fact that it's used there in Revelation of Horror. Horror is what awaits you. If you are rich, if you're rich here, if you have an abundance now, and, and, and you know, Jesus says, you've already received your comfort. Woe to you, horror to you if you're well fed. If you're satisfied now, you're going to be hungry. Woe to you, horror to you if your life is all about laughing and, laugh and frivolity now. You'll weep. And mourn in future. Woe to you, horror to you, if everyone speaks well of you. You know, again, just being brutally honest with you, we shared my sin on this one, you know, and 
So I teach at university, those of you don't know, and we have, at the end of each uh, semester we have these course questionnaires that are handed out to the students. I teach a group of 240 second-year students with about 80 third-year students. But the second-year students, they hand out these things and you get evaluated on everything and it gets passed on to the central university. Well, you know, what do you think of the lectures? What do you think of organisation? You know? and, and last year, some of the students have written some really kind of nice comments. Like this, and such a great and all these kind of things, and you know, you know, my kind of ego, this is good, you know. For this year, for whatever reason, the marks, the you know, tick boxes were fine, but you know, I'm getting so many kind of comments. I found myself kind of searching because I read them lot, searching, kind of looking for these comments. I actually felt a bit discouraged when I didn't get somebody afterwards, you know, and, and you know, what is my what is my what is my character? My character, I like verbal affirmation from people. You know, I like to have people tell me I'm doing a good job. You know, be honest with you, they don't, don't all come to me this afterwards, but I would rather hear charity some will come to me people in the British Central Forest, oh good sermon or whatever it was, thanks. You know, we also forest will probably just say the same, you know, and, and do it in a loving kind of way for us, but but we also need to hear things that weren't so good about the sermon, things that you know, we can improve. We, you know, we, we also need that kind of feedback as well. Right? But, 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 but my nature is I like the kind of good stuff. I like when people say nice things about What's Jesus doing? I think he's taking physical things, hunger, tears, etc. And he's saying, really, these are symptoms of your attitude to life. What's he doing? I think he's doing two things. He's comforting the disturbed. And he's disturbing the comfortable. You know, firstly, he's comforting the disturbed. We get discouraged, we get downhearted. Our, our instinct is to think, ah, I'm hungry, I'm, you know, I'm broken, I'm weak, I'm a mess, I'm you're mourning. And we get discouraged. And Jesus says, you're blessed. He's comforting the disturbed. You're blessed when you're desperate. And I'm sure, again, I won't ask the question, but I'm sure if we went around it, the times we've seen God act and move most powerfully in our lives have been when we're broken. When we've been through hard times and we've had to call out to God. There's something about that. There's something about that. You know, the challenge, I think, is to keep that attitude. You know, we could all say, you know, 18 years ago when I became a Christian, you know, yeah, I, I, I had that attitude. Something I sinned or something confronted me and I had that broken attitude. Do we have it now? What does Psalm 51 say about that, the, the sacrifice that God desires? It's a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart. What I want to play you a quick uh, video. You know, it, it's in Russian, the language, but it doesn't really matter. I think you get the picture. I'm sorry, the... The graphics aren't so good when you blow it up. It's the best version I can get of it. Um,
It was minus 25 degrees. And they gave him his summer uniform to wear. And, and a lot of his fellow soldiers would come out and would watch him stand there all night long in minus 25 degrees. And he prayed and he, and he refused to, to give up on his faith. And as a result, loads of his fellow soldiers were converted to Christ. You know, on the 15th of June, 1972, he wrote a letter to his parents. He said, my dear parents, the Lord has shown me, shown the way to me, and I've decided to follow it. I will now have more severe and bigger battles than I have had till now, but I do not fear them. He goes before me. Do not grieve for me. It is because I love Jesus more than myself. I listen to him. Though my body does fear someone or does not wish to go through everything, I do this because I do not value my life as much as I value him. And I will not await my own will, but I will follow as the Lord leads. You know, and a few days later, his body was returned to his family. He had been stabbed six times around the home. He had wounds on his head and around his mouth, beatings all over his body, and then he'd been drowned. You know, and this is happening all around the world now. To what I would consider to be, you know, our brothers and sisters. I think if someone is willing to die for their faith, I, I would be honoured to consider them my brother or my sister. But, but the challenge is there for us. Because I think Jesus is doing something else as well. He's disturbing the comfortable. You know, I think there are two things that, 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 that challenge us, that make us more and more kind of, you know, second. One is we're bombarded, we talked about this before, the La La Land thing, we're, we're bombarded by mass culture. You're going to leave here today, you're going to see people driving past in their cars, you'll see billboard posters, you're bombarded, you've got people stick on the TV all day long, you'll put the radio on, you'll hear the songs. We're bombarded by a culture that emphasises sensuality, comfort, individualism. You're the only person that matters, you're the centre of the universe, and, and, and you know, it affects us. But I also think there's something which is even perhaps even more challenging. And, and it's almost kind of a law of nature. You know, I came across this world, I'm not a scientist, but it's the second law of thermodynamics, and I'm sorry if you're a scientist and I get this wrong, but as I understand it, the second law of thermodynamics is that any system that doesn't have additional input of energy will tend towards what they call entropy. And you kind of go, what, what is that? Well, think, think of a car. Think of a car driving along the road. And, and unless you're an autopilot, if you take your foot off the accelerator, what's going to happen to the car? It's going to slow down. Right? The fact you put energy and you've got momentum and those kind of things in the car's movement makes no difference. Without an additional input of energy, the car will slow down. Things go from order to chaos. Very, very rarely do they go, you know, I wish, you know, my kid's bedroom would go from kind of the other way around. Chaos to order, it'd be great, but, but it doesn't tend to happen that way. And that's the way, that's the way of the world. It's also something that affects us physically and spiritually. You know, I watched a video years ago about Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, in his bodybuilding mentality, and he would say, even if I am lifting the heaviest possible weights I can possibly do, my body will adapt. My body will adapt so much so that you know it won't have an awful. I, I won't continue to build muscle and to grow. His whole philosophy of was he would say, I have to shock my body. I have to do something different. My body gets used to doing things the same way. Even if it's incredibly challenging, my body will just adapt. I have to constantly shock it. And I think there's a lesson there for us spiritually as we get older as Christians. Which is that you, know, you can't stay static as a Christian. You can't, you can't rely on nothing. You know, I, I live my Christianity, I had a radical Christianity 10, 15 years ago. And 
you know, I'm still faithful. I'm hanging on there. I, you know, I'm just going to you know, clench my teeth and grit it out for the next 30 years or 5 years or 50 years or whatever. I'm, I'm here. You can't do it. Your car will grind to a halt. There has to be additional... And you have to fight hard against that. Because it's written in, in almost the, kind of the way God has designed the universe and our bodies. We have to fight hard. We have to fight the entropy. We have to fight the inertia. You know, I respect people in the church who are taking steps of faith. You know, I think of the Ramis, for example, and I know this, and I'm sure people will me sharing this, you know, where they've been living is a great place. It's a really nice area or part of the world. But they're taking a step of faith to move because they know spiritually it's better for the moment for them to be here and closer into the church and more fellowship and involved in the Bible studies. I respect that. That's a challenge. They don't have the job set up for all those kind of things yet. Pray for them, please. But, but that's a challenge. I think the Pachenko is moving in again to you know, people taking steps of faith. I think in closing, two things to think about. Very quickly. First one, a few practicals. I think, you say it's not practical, it is a practical. I think we have to retrain our minds. I think we have to force ourselves to think about heaven. I don't think about heaven enough. I don't. If what Jesus is saying now depends, your reward will be in eternity, we should think about heaven. That's a very practical thing. You know, Henry Creek, her brother, whatever your feelings about Henry Creek, but, but he used to write long pages, essays about what he thought about heaven, what he looked forward to in heaven. Do you do that? I don't. I pray about heaven fairly regularly. I pray about it. I have a vision of, you know, of, of approaching. I don't know what heaven will be like once I get beyond these gates, but I have this kind of vision of, of approaching with my brothers and sisters and seeing the gates ahead of me. And I can see the kind of the city behind me. I pray about that. Because it's everything. It's everything. The only way I think probably we're going to have the, the conviction to live this life where Jesus is going to is to actually for heaven to become more and more real. Not in the couple of weeks before we die or the last moment on our deathbed, but now. I think we have to think about eternity and force and retrain our minds. But secondly, I also think we need to reorder our priorities in, in view of eternity. I think we need to be very practical. I, you know, I have had this discussion with a few brothers and sisters. You, know, you don't want to be legalistic. And you don't to, I, I'm not trying to set down a law for people. You don't have to. I'm just trying to. I think all of us need to be very, very practical. I don't think Jesus was, was just giving, giving us some kind of you know, fluffy, woolly Christianity. When he sent the disciples out in Luke 9 and 10 and Matthew 10, he's very specific with them. Go through the verse He's very. Don't take money. You know, shake the dust off your head. Like, he's very specific with them. I think a good challenge for us, even tonight, is I'm sure you have an agenda or a calendar, whatever age you are, you know, look at your week and kind of go, you know, like, obviously you want your Christianity to be everywhere, to be, you know, everything you do, but I also think it's a good asset to I think about this, I think, okay, what am I going to do this week? When am I going to organize my, you know, I've got an evening for a Bible study, when are we going to do the, the evangelistic football thing we can do? When am I going to, you know, who am I going to meet during the week for a coffee to encourage them? And I try and plan the week like that. That's a very specific thing. Look at your budget. Go through your budget and kind of go, you know, am I really, am I really honoring God with my budget? That's a very specific, practical thing. I do think we need to reorder our priorities. You know, it comes to the message is all about Jesus' kingdom values. I think it's, 
I think it's an encouraging message. That, you know, the, the video is a shocking one, but, but it's encouraging. I bet you if you ask those guys now, I bet you if you ask the people, the woman, who have a baby torn from her arms and ripped apart, I bet if you ask them now in eternity, do you regret it? I don't think a single one of them would say, yeah, that was a bad decision. I should have just caved in. And we have to have that. We are surrounded, Hebrews says, by a great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. You know, in closing, I heard this a while ago, it said, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do, by words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Amen. 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 Amen.